This is episode 39 with Dr. Jody Carrington, and today we'll be talking about raising kids today and how you can reconnect with them. It's been just really a, a huge blessing to talk about, you know, how we stay connected to each other because these babies aren't the problem. If, we, if we're not okay, these kids don't stand a chance. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? Or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hey, mamas. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Citrus Love Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about kids these days and also mothering these days. I'm going to add this one because you're going to get a good dose of mothering reality. It's not easy raising kids today in this modern world, very busy. Something we'll be talking about kids these days is that they can't give away something they've never received. I've got one mother who's gonna tell us how to reconnect with our kids, maybe your teacher, how you can reconnect with your kids in the classroom. And of course, I had to ask about all the anxiety for mothers going back to school, how we should be dealing about this in this COVID time. So we're all on a journey as mothers to do this parenting thing right. How to be a good parent, how to be a good teacher, parent, how to be a good wife, how to be a good friend, a good sister, and the list goes on. So today's guest says she's found the one thing that will get it right for you. And the one thing that you as a parent, as a mom, should be teaching your kids and this will help them navigate through the ups and downs of life and become strong, resilient kids. And she even goes as far as saying you don't need to get it right that often. And this part actually really surprised me. So today I've got a very funny, no BS mama, Dr. Jody Carrington. She made me laugh. It was crazy. She's so direct and honest, and it's refreshing to be speaking with her. She's a clinical psychologist, child psychologist, a mother of three, a wife, a speaker. She has over 46,000 followers on Instagram, 63,000 on Facebook. She's a best-selling Canadian author. She wrote the book, Kids These Days, a game plan for reconnecting with those we teach lead and love which of course I've read she's close from where I grew up I would say close where it's in the same province she lives in Olds Alberta on a farm 
She has a Carrington practice with registered therapists that's focused on relationship-focused trauma-informed practice. She advocates a lot for teachers and educators. She also has the Carrington Connection Network for Educators, a model for creating resiliency in schools that look after educators first. And she made me do the interview over video because of connection, face-to-face interaction is important. So I turned on that video and we did this recording video form for this podcast. You'll have the audio, but I might be putting clips on my social media. And as a bonus PDF with this episode, if you go to our website, www.citruslove.com slash episode 39, you will find Kids These Days Book Club PDF. So basically, it's a summary of each chapter from her book with questions that you may reflect upon about raising kids these days with some of the most important takeaways. If you want that free goodie, go to our website right after this episode or even right now. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, make sure to share it with your mom friends in your group that might benefit from any of these conversations that's all about supporting you on your journey to become mentally and physically stronger so you can raise strong kids as well, strong, resilient kids. And don't we just all want that in the end? So these conversations are all about you, mamas. I love to see who's listening. So when you do share it, you can screenshot when you're listening on your phone or simply press that share link on the post under the title. You'll see sharing options and you can share it directly. Tag the podcast at Citrus Love Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook for the mamas listening with young kids around as Jody puts it herself, she has very colorful language, but she toned it down a bit for this episode. So I just wanted to put it out there before we get started. So if you're ready, let's listen in to my conversation with Dr. Jody Carrington. So welcome, Jody. Thank you for being on Citrus Love Podcast today. I read your book, Kids These Days, and just really thought that was so important to share. So thank you for being here today. Well, I'm so excited. We're connecting like uh, Quebec and Alberta in this COVID era, and I love it. It's so great to meet you. Yes. So before we get into some specific of the work you do, I want to talk just a little bit about you. You say that everyone has a story and it's that story that guides your relationship. For anyone that's listening that might not know you personally or have heard of you yet, um, what's your story? Oh, that's such a great question. Well, I, just like you, I grew up in Alberta uh, in this small town and it's interesting because it was, I don't know if it's interesting, but it's uh, K to 12 school. So really super small town, um, rural Alberta, 1200 people. I was in a school, K to 12 school. Everybody know everything about everybody else. Like I knew, I could tell you the first and last names of every teacher I had K to 12. Uh, I knew who was having affairs. I knew, I babysat <laughs> for all of them. Like, you know, you know, you know all the stuff, right? And yeah. um I, uh, I don't remember anything they taught me, but I do remember there was 22 of us that started kindergarten together and the same 19 of us graduated together. And in grade 10, one of the most popular kids in our class was killed. 
And I remember where I was standing when Mrs. Nordstrom told us about Neil. And I remember what she was wearing. And I don't remember what she said, but I remember how she made us feel. And I remember thinking, um, you know, in that moment, wow, like if, if the big people are okay, the little people are going to be just fine. And even as a 16 year old kid, I thought, ah, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to make people feel the way Mrs. Nordstrom did. So I knew then that I was going to go or that I wanted to be a psychologist. And so I told my dad and he was so shit and excited that I had a plan to go to university out of, you know, small town, Alberta, that he was Uh like, I'll friggin' pay for it. (laughs) So he didn't realize it can take me 13 years to get a PhD, but so I, I, you know, I really wanted to do motivational stuff, sports stuff. I love hockey. And then I, I ended up doing an externship with the RCMP. So I spent 18 months as a civilian member of the RCMP and I started to learn a lot about trauma and how little we do to support our first responders in this country and this on this planet really. And, um, I sort of, I learned so much about, you know, trauma and emotional regulation. And so then Um, I was doing my residency in Nova Scotia and I really just wanted to be a police psychologist. And then they said, you need to do a rotation with kids. And I said, I don't really like kids. Like I'm not a fan (laughs) of kids. I mean, I, I mean, they're fine. I knew I wanted to be a mom, but like, I'm just not a huge fan of kids. So then, um, I, I did this rotation and I fell in love with them and I realized we knew less about kids and trauma than we knew about adults and trauma. So I came back to Alberta, um, and took my first job at, on the psychiatric unit of the Alberta Children's Hospital. So it's a locked psychiatric unit for kids, sort of the ones that struggle the most. And uh, those babies taught me more than, you know, anything ever did in grad school. And I started to understand trauma and, you know, the importance of relationship and emotional regulation in kids and how, you know, the behavioral models that we have all been raised with and, you know, that we try to help, you know, most significantly behavioral kids with um, are bullshit because they're based on what we learned from a rat. And, if you want a rat to perform, you punish them when they're bad and you reward them when they're good and it Mm -hmm. works beautifully. The same thing doesn't work for babies. Now it worked so much more successfully even two generations ago because we had so much closer proximity to each other. We had relationship inherent in how we grew up because our Mm -hmm. homes were smaller. uh, We were in one room schoolhouses. We just took for granted that we were spending so much more time face-to-face connected as human beings. And now, you know, two generations out of that, we're like, how come I can't take away enough stuff from my kid to make him be kind? Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. I've taken away his iPad and his, I've taken the door off his room and he's still being a little jerk. I wonder, huh? Because you can't tell kids how to do stuff. You got to show them. And so these babies and families were teaching me a whole bunch. And then I managed to land a husband because here's the thing, when you are 32 years old and you're still not married, nobody really gives a shit that you, uh, you're a doctor. They're like, mm, she's a nice, smart girl, but she doesn't got a husband. Mm-hmm. So I got one and uh, <laughs> he's, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a farmer. And uh, I mean, he's fine, but he, he has a PhD as well in uh, ruminant nutrition. So he basically feeds cows for a living. So that's fine. And uh, it's a very hard job. So he says to me, we should get married. So we get that done. And then he says, we should get a kid, which is true uh, because of course I'm getting old. So I was quite concerned about the fact that I was going to not be able to get pregnant. And lo and behold, before we even, you know, I took our first breath, I think uh, we had a baby on board. And uh, I thought during pregnancy, like, how hard can this be? I mean, I'm a child psychologist. I've been telling people how to fix their own personal children for mm-hmm. at least five years. So, I mean, come on. So during the birth, uh, we did all the things, you know, like I had a birth plan. There was a lot of Beethoven and uh 
classical music being transmitted to the child. Um, I was very clear that during birth, we would only have Aaron and I, we'd like a few days just to be, you know, gently bond as a family. I had doulas and all the shit happening. The second they put that tiny human in my arms, I mean, first of all, the birth plan was bullshit because I was like so confused with all the nurses. I was like, hey, 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 have you read my birth plan? They're like, "Mm mm-hmm. I'm like, no, no, look at me. I'm not going to have my child here at this hospital unless you can recite my birth plan to me. And they're like, listen, lady, just get in your bed. And I was like, (laughs) okay, cool. And so then, uh, you know, we bring this baby home from the hospital. Uh, First of all, here's the problem I have. And I know you have lots of amazing moms on this podcast. And so here's the problem I have. They say that this is going to be the most beautiful moment of your life. You understand? They're going to give you this tiny human that you have just birthed into the world. They say things to you like, okay, here you go. Like you got this. And I'm like, really? Like, first of all, I'm in mesh underwear. Like, do you, could I not clean myself up? If this is really going to be the most important thing in my life. So they said to me, you got this. And I was thinking, holy shit, I don't, I don't think I do. And in 24 hours, we got home, you know, in the plan, in the birth plan was it was just going to be Aaron and I, we were just going to bond with the child. And of course I'm a child psychologist. So the child is going to be on a schedule, right? This is a plan. Mm -hmm. He's on a schedule and we're going to, rotate to get he should be sleeping now we're gonna get mm-hmm. so the child wakes up we call him asher which means happy mm. that was also wrong <laughs> and so he wakes up at three o'clock in the morning screaming his head off i clearly think he got autism or hydrocephalus i'm not sure so i wake aaron up and we're both like holy shit and i, I don't know what to do so we're bouncing him on one of those balls that you're supposed to do your abs on like mm-hmm. you know six months mm-hmm. prior we were using it to go to the you know like get our abs tight yeah now we're bouncing keep the baby alive and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my God, I w- what's wrong with him? And Aaron's like, I don't know. And I then I realized we're not doing skin to skin. As a psychologist, this has got this is essential. So I say to my husband gently, take your shirt off. <laughs> so he takes his shirt off. I'm naked, milk shooting everywhere. We're bouncing on this damn ball. The kid will not stop crying. And I honestly got to look over at my husband who's crying at this point and i'm not joking he's got tears in his eyes he says to me i'll never forget this question he says to me how do dumb people do this (laughs) right like we had six degrees between us i'm a child psychologist and i i'm fairly sure that i'm mixing this kid up before he's even three days old yeah it's awful you know what i have to say my first thought was and i read tons of books before and i wanted to do everything right. And so I had a midwife and all that. And I could not believe they were letting me leave with a baby. I'm like, (laughs) you need courses and certification and all these things to have a job. And this is like a job for life. You you have to keep this child alive. And I was like, how am I going to keep this child alive until he's one? Just the amount of responsibility you feel from just that baby coming out of you. And then they're like, okay, go do your thing. And it, it seems like most other women, I mean, particularly in this age of social media, have got it. Like they're posting all kinds of shit. Like they're taking maternity photos in lace curtains. And then <laughs> like, you know, the baby's out for two minutes and they, they're like laying gently with like the baby's like wrapped in a Petri dish with a bow and bunny ears. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I don't even know where my bra is. 
let alone get makeup on. So I feel like it was, it was a huge transition for, for us. And um, I really quickly realized I'm better with other people's children. So went back, I, I mean, I stayed home with, with Ash for the first year and then I went back to work and we got pregnant again, really. We lost a baby actually, uh, a pregnancy at uh, 12 weeks. And then um, we got pregnant again right away. So I didn't realize that post miscarriage being old um, because I was 36 when I got pregnant the next time. And uh, it was twins. Thank God. Because why wouldn't you want to be pregnant with twins at 36 years old on a five foot Ukrainian chassis? There I was, the biggest human being like you can imagine on the planet. Boy, girl, twins. They land in our lap. We own three babies under two. I don't even like kids. And uh, <laughs> my husband says to me, he said, I'm having a psychotic break. Like I'm fairly sure it's over. I, I have no memory of like their first year. And he said to me, you know what? I know what I know what will help you. Let's move closer to my mother. Mm-hmm. You know what that you hear that very often when people tend to have more kids, they move back home. Yeah. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Now, so that's why we ended up in this small town called Old Alberta, Canada, which yeah. is where we live now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I, I'm very grateful for the move, but it was, it was, it was hard. And we had three of them under two. So we came to the small town. I left my job at the Alberta Children's Hospital, you know, in this new community. Uh, I was so grateful for the support, but I was, I was shocked at how hard this was even on my own parents and on Aaron's parents. Like I expected they were going to be superstar grandparents and they are loved and hopefully they don't listen to this, but I was shocked at like, oh my, like I am on my own. Like, what do you mean you're going home? You're tired. No, no, no. Back in the game. We got three. So it's honestly that first year, even like I, and I talk about this all the time. I mean, we were, we were older parents and three babies and, you know, we're, we're both professionals. I mean, that's, that's to do that. I mean, I knew I wanted kids my whole life, Mm -hmm. but this was something that I wasn't a huge fan of. And so the transition was interesting. And then I started a private practice, you know, once the kids, the twins were one and that's all I really wanted to do was a private practice a couple days a week and coach Mm -hmm. hockey and, you know, live the dream. And then I started speaking, consulting to school divisions uh, around the areas about, about the tough babies. Cause I really like the hitters, the kickers, the biters, like bring it. Mm-hmm. And um, then I just started speaking on stages. They said, would you speak to, to this group of teachers? Would you speak to our superintendents? And I said, yeah, they said, you should write a book. I was like, never. And I did. And so I wrote the, uh, the book you were talking yeah. about called Kids These Days. And it's, uh, it's become a, a bestseller. We've sold over, uh, you know, 100,000 copies around the world. And, and it's, it's blown up. So I speak often now. We're writing our second, or I'm writing the second book called Teachers These Days. And uh, so I, I spent a lot of time with educators, particularly in this state of, you know, COVID this last season, this last five months has been just really a, a huge blessing to talk about, you know, how we stay connected to each other. Cause these babies aren't the problem. If, we, if we're not okay, these kids don't stand a chance. Yeah. And I loved, loved how you keep saying that if people who are taking care of the kids are not okay, then why would a child, their, their kids be okay? Why do you think it's so important to focus on who's taking care of the kids as opposed to just taking care of the kids? Because in the parenting world, most of the time it's focused on the kids. How can you help the kids raise a good child, take care of that baby? And that's also what I found was missing for mothers was what about us? Like, we need support too. It's not just the kids. If you feel like you're losing it, of course, your kids are going to lose it as well. So talk about that because I find that so important. It's so important. 
You're so right, Christiana. And, and here's the thing for me is that, you know, there's developmental milestones for our babies. We are very closely monitoring. Do we have their immunizations? Are you choosing to do that? What's the plan for this? Where are they developmentally? And there's none of those charts for parents. Like, where are you at developmentally as a parent? Where are you at emotionally as a parent? And, you know, I often say this, you know, kids, people want to bring their kids to me when they're worried about them. You know, I, I, you know, my kid has anxiety or we're going through a divorce or, you know, can you check on my kid? Are they okay? And I always say, of course, I'd love to see your baby, but I need to see you first. Mm. And the heart of the matter is that, you know, our job, it, you have one job when you own a kid or teach a kid or love a kid, and that is to teach them something called emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. And emotional regulation means how not to lose your friggin' mind. Okay. Yeah. And when I ask parents what they want for their children, they generally say this to me. I mean, and you've probably said this before, if, if there's one thing that you want for your babies, what is it? And parents always say that I just want them to be happy. Yeah. And so that's really cool. And then if I push parents, they will always say this. And okay, so three other things. I'd love them to do well in school. I'd love them to have friends. And, you know, if we could get really fancy, we'd love them to give back to the world in some way. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we want those four things for, for our babies. Okay. Here's the thing. You can't do any of those things well, unless you have the skill of emotional regulation. If you lose your mind easily, when hard things come, you will have difficulties doing well in school. You will have difficulties making friends you will have difficulties giving back to the world because when you are upset, you can't be kind. And it's also really messing with your ability to be happy. When you bring a baby home from the hospital, how they let you know what they need is they cry. Mm-hmm. They lose their friggin' mind. They get emotionally dysregulated. Mm-hmm. That's their number one form of communication. Our job as parents is to begin to show them how to regulate emotion by soothing them. So when I put a, a crying baby into anybody's arms, right? Your father's, my, like my, my husband didn't have a lot of experience with, with infants. So the second he hung on to our, our tiny human for the first time, I mean, he looked like he was holding like a calf, like, I mean, Asher's head was in his armpit and I was thinking we're screwed, you know, and, but he had the instinct to soothe him. So he was bouncing, you know, kind of like his dance moves, like a little bit awkwardly, you know, doing this thing but we are all wired for connection. See, biologically, we understand this. If we don't sue that baby, that baby will die. So inherently we understand that we're wired for connection. And so there is this attempt to co-regulate even inherently in us. And so it is that sense when they start to cry, we go, okay, okay, okay. That's the very early stages of developing neural pathways for our babies on how to self soothe, how to regulate. We're co-regulating with them. And the more we co-regulate, the more we walk them through this process, the better able they are to do that as they grow and they separate from us. So their number one job is to get emotionally dysregulated. Our number one job is to walk them home, to co-regulate with them. Okay. Yeah. And in the co-regulation process, we're starting to develop emotional uh, or sorry, neurological pathways in the prefrontal cortex that are then being drawn in there. Uh, and the more times we do that, the more times we sue, the more we're creating those neural pathways for them. Okay. So you notice, uh, you know, the first th- few days of life, they're crying every, they're losing their mind, flipping their lid every second. Mm-hmm. That's their job. I mean, you know, maybe you, they sleep for an hour. And then it's, you know, again, by the time they're two or three or four, we get longer and longer windows of emotional regulation because they're starting to learn that process. And so here becomes the problem, right? When we get to think about how many times they get emotionally dysregulated a lot, they're flipping their lids, losing their minds. And we get less and less inclined to walk them home. We start to take things away or punish them for Mm -hmm. the behavior that they don't know how to do yet. Right now, is it appropriate that they, that they have a temper tantrum? No, it's not. 
it is not what becomes important is when I teach them about that. Because here's the tricky thing. You can't teach a kid who is emotionally dysregulated. They have no emotional capacity. They have no uh, neurological capacity to learn. So when you are in a yelling match with a kid, you also don't have a prefrontal cortex, nor do they. But Dan Siegel does this beautiful job. He's a psychiatrist who talks about, um, from a neurological perspective, what, what, what is happening when a kid gets emotionally dysregulated. So if your listeners you know, can just sort of imagine your brain as your fist, a closed fist, put your thumb on the inside, wrap your fingers around the fist, that's your brain. And if you flip your fingers up, your limbic system is represented by your thumb. That's the internal part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fight, flight, and freeze lives in the internal part, the very regulation, basics of emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you bring your baby home from the hospital, that's all they have. Fight, flight, and freeze. They lose their friggin' minds. And then we soothe them. What separates humans from other mammals is we have the prefrontal cortex that wraps around the limbic system. So if you now put your fingers back over top of your thumb, there's your brain again. Those fingers live right above your eyes. That's your prefrontal cortex. Everything you've ever learned in your life lives in that prefrontal cortex. So when you bring a baby home from the hospital, they got very little in that prefrontal cortex. So when they need something, they flip their lid and cry. We as big people soothe and put that lid back on. And the more times I put that lid back on, the more I'm creating that neural pathway for them to have access when I'm not there. But when they flip their lid, I can't teach them anything because they've lost access to their, ner- to their prefrontal cortex. My first job is to regulate my child and then teach. Okay, okay, okay. Look at me. Look at me, right? Look at me. It's okay. Come here. Now, it's very hard to regulate first when they're saying and doing things that are inappropriate, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I hate you. You suck. They're hitting their brother. They're doing all the things that they're not supposed to be doing. Hmm? Mm-hmm. The first step in that process, of course, is safety. Keep them safe. All bets are off if violence is an issue. But most of the time, it is how do I regulate them before I consequence? How do I regulate them first before I have the hard discussion? Does that make sense? Yeah. So are you saying that nowadays parents act too quickly to punish and not regulate always mm-hmm. and i love this gordon newfeld talks about this he's another canadian psychologist who's written a, a beautiful book called parenting from the inside out it's this idea that we got to collect before we direct and it feels like it flies in the face of all behavioral reason because you're like you're reinforcing the behavior if i'm saying to a kid look at me honey come here let's get a drink of water what just happened here bud right we can't hit right? This is not a good choice. I know it's not good. What are we going to do to make it better? Well, then, and then we teach, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the problem. This sounds idealistic. Oh my gosh. How do we do this when we have three kids, when we're exhausted, when all of this shit happens, listen, circle the research on this is beautiful. You only need to get this right. 30% of the time. You can screw this up 70% of the time. You can flip your own personal lid, lose your own mind 70% of the time. And it's an average. You can sometimes dip into the 80s and still be okay to teach these babies emotional regulation, right? There's so much grace in this parenting process that we don't allow ourselves enough of because listen, we're tired. I mean, you're pregnant. How much time is your lid on during the day? Or you're just, you know, connected (laughs) and full of grace and hope. Here's why we're also better with other people's children. Because I will be less inclined to flip my lid with your kids than I will with my own. So if your baby comes to me and says, I want a ring pop for breakfast, I'm going to be like, you do? Come here. What do you love about ring pops? Because I've got less skin in the game. I can keep my lid on. When my personal child comes to me at 6.30 in the morning, right? And says to me, mm-hmm. I want a ring pop. I'd be like, hey, 
What? <laughs> you don't speak to me like that. Number two, you don't get a ring pop. What is wrong with you? Jeez. Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I only judge parents by how they show up with their best friend's kids, not their own children. Mm. Because listening to what we should do when for parents, it's what happens uh, when my a child has a tantrum or when my child doesn't want to listen. That's always the thing. How can I make them listen? And you feel like you have to be on your game a hundred percent of the time, because if not, then they model you. And if you lose it, they'll lose it. So it feels like it's putting a lot of pressure on being amazing parents all the time. That's oh my gosh. And I so it's say, good that you're saying that 30% because I've never heard that. It's, it's interesting. The circle, I, I take that research from a, a group out of Seattle called the Circle of Security. Uh, they've developed a parenting program uh, and they are just brilliant. And they have a website. You can check their, you know, their training. Um, I've been, I've taken everything that they've offered, particularly as a young psychologist, as I was trying to understand, like, how does this emotional regulation stuff work? It's very theoretical. John Bowlby talked a lot about attachment early in the day and, um, there was no practicality to it. And so I understood it as a student. Um, but as a mom, I was like, how does that, you know, attachment relationship stuff work? And we've really messed it up significantly in talking about like attachment parenting, which is like, you know, wear your baby 24 hours a day, uh, co-sleep. I mean, all those things are fine. You can, you know, you, you make your own choice as a parent, but it sets such a high standard of connection. And there's very little direction around how do you consequence? How do you set boundaries? How do you teach? And kids need both of those things. They need the connection, but they also need the, ah, 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 not today. Stop it. Mm -hmm. That's not a good choice. So we need both of those things. The sequence in which those two things happen is really what attachment uh, talks about is we need to collect to get the neurological, uh, you know, the prefrontal cortex before I teach. So I love, you know, the circle security guys talked a lot about 30% in their first book um, and cited some research. And then in the second book, they're like, well, it's a little bit sketchy, but I always go back to that 30%. I was like, listen, it's in print in one book. <laughs> and I am going to quote that till the day I die. Because I mean, I wrote a book called kids these days. And if you watch me with my own kids, you wouldn't buy the frigging book. You understand? Like we are so much better in theory. You know what? That surprises me. When I heard you say that, I think on one of your Insta stories, I was like, what? Wait a minute. (laughs) it, It surprises me because you think you work with kids all the time. You focus on how to help kids and parents and teachers regulating kids and connecting with kids that you think it comes so naturally to you. Like it's ingrained in you. Your your kids are your um, your testers in a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. I mean, here's what I say to my kids all the time. My kids are very lucky to have me. How I mean, old are they? My right husband now? and I are fantastic. My my twins are now seven, and our oldest will turn ten this week. Okay. Yeah. And so they're seven and a half and on ten. So um, I I feel like our kids are very lucky. Um, but we say this all the time. We mess up so significantly, and it gives this beautiful opportunity. This beautiful opportunity for repair. And some of the most important things, your kids are not born, our children, no child is born with the capacity to apologize. So you can say, hey, 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 you need to apologize to your brother. But if you have never been apologized to, you can't give it away. Mm. You can't give away something you've never received. So one of the most genuinely important tasks as a parent is to walk a kid home through emotional dysregulation, first only to repair, apologizing, mommy's sorry. Yeah, that was a tough one, bud. 
do you do, I say this to my kids all the time. Do you know that I was never a parent before I met you? Did you know I'm new at this? Did you know I've never, ever, and they're like, you are not. I'm like, yep, yep. I have never parented seven and a half year old twins before. Let me tell you this. And I am a rookie and I am going to mess up and I am sorry. And the most important thing is, is that we don't follow up on a, I'm sorry with a, but because a, but erases an apology and it gives them the permission to do it back to you. So I always say, you know, how easy this is to be like, I am sorry for yelling, but if you would just pick up your toys, I wouldn't have to yell. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the art of apology, Harriet Lerner talks a lot about this. Um, she's written a recent book. She's written many, but her recent is, uh, you know, why won't you apologize? And I love it because she really talks about how using a butt is really discounting it. So if I want somebody to be genuine or understand or regulate emotion, apology is usually the quickest way to get them to regulate. You think about this with your husband, right? Or your, your partner. Yeah. Um, you know, if you just say, you know, honey, I'm sorry. It changes everything versus you say, you know what? I'm really sorry, but I didn't realize I had six children. Okay. I thought we were in this to like, yeah. Okay. You're not going to be able to hear that conversation. You just say, I'm sorry. I am exhausted today. Right. Lost my mind. Didn't deserve it. Can we reset versus I'm sorry, but like, I'm exhausted. Okay. But like, if you would just pick up some pieces around here, I wouldn't have to do it all. Mm-hmm changes everything. And the genuine nature of that sometimes requires that step back to be like, okay, reset. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, an apology also requires a prefrontal cortex. So I know that what is most important to me, you know, the old adage, I mean, masks now take on a whole new set of meaning these days, but you know, on airplanes, it's like, can we put our own oxygen mask on first? The reason for that, I mean, it feels so weird as a parent, because of course you always want to put your babies first and save your babies first, but if we're not okay, they don't stand a chance. Yeah. So what are we doing as a community, which is what I love about your podcast? What are we doing as, you know, the group of people that, you know, we're creating of, you know, educators in our community around how do we hang on to each other? If you sit with the winners, the conversation is different. If you sit with people who remind you that, you know, you, you got this, that kindness is way more contagious than the virus, that every mom, every dad has the right to make the decision that's right for their family. Um, and I'm going to do my very best to not judge you on your Instagram profile because I think everybody should have to post the Instagram of the family photo shoot that happened two frames before the one you post where, you know, one and two are throat punching each other. Yeah. You've just had a conversation with your husband that says, you know what, maybe I just want a, ch a picture with me and the children because by the time Christmas comes, that's might be, it might just be us on the card. Okay. Yeah. So we don't post that stuff. So we have no reference point. We just think everybody is all dressed in creams and blues and they're frolicking in a field. Mm -hmm. And why are we messing it up? Yeah. There's one thing I read, I think you put it in your book and I found that so funny. You, you said that sometimes the mom needs a break, you know, the timeout, it's not always for the kids. Sometimes you need the timeout and that you would keep a bottle of wine in the toilet tank. <laughs> I, was I made like, that joke one time because I was like, you know what? I am a huge believer in timeouts for you, not them. Because if you're not okay, right? Like if you were ready to lose our minds, how do you take a time out? And so as long as the kids are safe, the only door in our house, I don't know how this happened, that has a lock is the bathroom. 
And so I say, I often hide in the bathroom. I take my, you know, my 30 seconds, my two minutes, whatever, get my prefrontal cortex back on. And what really helps is if you drink, you cannot drink or like you cannot swallow with a flip lid. So this is true for your children. So I often offer water or juice to be able to get them to get their prefrontal cortex back on. And so I say, so for me, I keep a bottle of white in the toilet tank because then it's chilled and my mother-in-law doesn't know it's there. So I just go in and, you know, take a shot. And then I'm like, okay. And I mean, it's a joke. Uh, people have come to my house and and checked to see if there's- I thought you were serious. I'm like, that's possible. I just wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should plant one there anyways, because I, I feel like at some point- <laughs> Yeah, putting it in there. It's weird because I didn't know that was allowed. You know, I always say like my kids are my greatest teachers because they amplify all your emotions, your imperfections and your strong points. And I was losing it at one point. I was like, it's my problem. I have to get myself regulated, like you would say. And I happened to read a book and she said she would hide in her closet to take a breather. And I was like, really? That's allowed? Like, it's so simple. And I started just doing that, going to the bathroom when I needed my bedroom. I would close the door and tell my kids, okay, I just need a couple minutes. Don't come and see me. And it makes such a difference. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Looking after us. Right. Like, and we're just, we come from a generation of parents who really, you know, often talked about like, you know, just devote my mother was anyways, you know, very devoted to us kids. And that was just the thing. And I, I mean, I love her for it and she's, you know, amazing to this day, but it, it really doesn't fit with what I want for our kids in our life. And I often say, you know, like, I mean, I, I work and, you know, I write a lot and I travel a lot and I, and I have to say this, you know, like I, I, I got to show my babies how to change the world. I got to show them how to be passionate about something. I can't just tell them, right? I want Mm -hmm. you to chase your dreams and believe in it. Well, I don't want them to say to me, mom, did you do that? Mm. And, and I can say, yeah, I did like a hundred percent. And so it's like, you know, okay, well, we're really sad that you're going to be away for three days. And so then we have those conversations. Okay. So what is, what are we going to do to make this better? When we get back, what's our plan? How are we staying connected when we, you know, mom's not there, dad's not there. So I think it's, it's, I mean, the mother guilt thing is, is sort of conceived at conception. I often, you know, I, I fight it every day, right? Like, am, am I doing enough for them with them? You know, do we, have we made homemade Play-Doh? Like, I, I mean, fuck, I don't know why people make Play-Doh because you can buy it at Walmart for 99 cents. But anyway, I, I really want to give them all the experiences because they are, the sun sets and rises on them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so proud of them. Nobody can break my heart like them. Uh, you know, when I watch them, nobody can, you know, like they're everything to me, but I'm so much better when I'm, um, when I look after myself, when I'm serving the things that ignite my soul, I'm better for them. Mm-hmm. Say that from your book, it's these days we've lost this connection. Do you think that technology is really to blame with this or why have we lost that sense of either parents connecting with their kids or kids feeling lost? Where do you think that everyone for themselves Mm -hmm. uh, mentality came from? I don't think technology is the problem. I think how we use it is the problem. And I think, um, you know, sometimes, you know, when you think about, um, I talked about this in the book as well, when you think about like the square footage of the house that your grandfather was raised in and the square footage of the house in which we raise our babies, mm-hmm. right? So my my father grew up, you know, he had two younger siblings and um, it was a one bedroom house, right? Mm-hmm. 900 square feet at its best. And when somebody was fighting, you knew about it. When somebody was making up, you knew about it. Mm-hmm. When somebody 
got bullied on the bus, you knew about it. There was so much more connection. And there was also not, you know, uh, escapism of, they, they didn't have a TV, you know, they barely had radio by the time my dad left home. And I think that there were so many more opportunities. You didn't have anything else to do. Now it's easier. I mean, our kids spend excessive amounts of time on the iPad, but it never ceases to amaze me when I say, Kate, time's up. And they're like, we don't want to. And I'm like, I know, right. Mm -hmm. It becomes then an issue for us, but they find shit to do. And then it's like, okay, so how do we use it in a way that becomes more important or, you know, that there's that connection piece. I mean, we're as guilty as they are. I mean, Aaron texts the kids when they're in their room in the basement, like Mm. we can't even get our ass off the couch to go downstairs and say supper's ready, babe. Right. And so it's like, versus, you know, our grandparents, they just knew because they were all together in the same place. So it's like, it's just, I think a bit more about, you know, being conscious of how we use it and how we take those opportunities to stay connected when, we have it and that that nothing ever replaces face-to-face connection not one time there is a physiological shift that happens when i'm in the same physical presence as somebody uh my cortisol decreases that's a stress hormone my oxytocin and my dopamine increase i can't replicate that on an email I can't Mm -hmm. replicate that physiological response on a text. Mm -hmm. I can only do that now in this age of, you know, video COVID shit. This is what I said to you at the beginning of this interview, turn your video on. Yeah. Because we are much more connected when I can see you, Mm -hmm. right? Versus if we were just speaking, Uh, you know, there's lots of discussion in schools, you know, should mandated, should videos be mandated? No, you you can't tell kids what to do. You got to show them. So you invite them into this process. I'd love, just turn it on for 30 seconds, babe. I'd love to see you this morning. Mrs. S misses your face. Come on, let's do it. Okay, turn it off then. That's cool after, right? But how do we engage in relationship and connection so that we are more invested? We are much more anonymous on something like Twitter versus something like Instagram. So the the effects of social uh, disobedience, the, the effects of social like brutalness happens so much more on a platform like Twitter than it does on Instagram because mm-hmm. I'm more engaged visually. Right? Do you understand? Yeah. So anonymity, anonymity um, is what is messing us up. And so um, it is how do we consciously stay more connected physically, face-to-face with our children, with our partners? I mean, what would happen if you sat down tonight, looked at your husband in the eye, grabbed his eyes, uh, grabbed his hands and just said to me, okay, babe, let's just look at each other for four minutes, right? Like just four minutes. I mean, we can do whatever, but let's just look at yeah. each other. I mean, people are, they're like, what? Four minutes. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And what'll happen in a four minute span, if you can stand it, is you will cry because we are wired for connection. So you you procreated with this human and I'm gonna say to you tonight, just go home and look at him for four minutes. Most people are like, oh, that is too long. And I tried this with my personal husband. I said, babe, can you just look at me for four minutes? I mean, we like, let's, I mean, kids are in bed, let's, you know. And he's like, why? I said, well, because I'm your bride. Like, don't you want to just like, look at me? And he's like, no. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) oh my God. So we were sitting there looking at each other and and he's a scientist, you know? So he says to me, okay, so what am I looking for? Uh, Like, did you get a haircut? Like what, what's the thing? And I was like, yeah, Yeah. just look at me, you know? And he's like, can we take breaks? No, (laughs) Jesus. So we lasted 36 seconds, but anyway, I mean, this is the the problem. People are the people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. Yes. If you walk, if you came out of your office and you said to your husband, "Ah, babe, I missed you this morning. Come give me a hug." They'll be That's like, what? "So true." What happened? I I send like sometimes just random texts to my partner saying, "Oh, I love you. Thank you for all you're doing." And he always writes back, 
what's wrong or what's happening? Yeah. I'm like, nothing. <laughs> but that, so when you talk about, we need to connect more, you mean more like that face-to-face level, looking at it, at each other's eyes with your kids, with anyone you're, you're, you want to connect with, or are there other ways that's important to reconnect? I'll take any, anything you got. So right now, if you just think about somebody, you know, your best friend who you haven't connected to for a while, send, send them a text message, uh, send a letter in the E in the mail. I mean, uh, you know, uh, getting, receiving mail from people that we love still mm. boosts our, uh, oxytocin through the roof, mm-hmm. uh, waving at your neighbor today. When you drive to the grocery store, wave at people in the car, particularly the ones you don't know. They think you're drunk. Yeah. They're not, cons- <laughs> you know, they're like, what? Ethel, who was that? What's Right. I love it because then you're engaged with your prefrontal cortex. I mean, this is, we're just walking each other home that Ram Dass said this and we're just in a community with each other. So when I'm more engaged in my community, I'm always most of the time to people waving, right. Mm. And they're scared, right. What's wrong with that lady. And you should try this with the, with your, uh, in Montreal, you'd be waving to people, huh? They think something's wrong with you. Of course. So mm. that's, that's a great thing. And you know what it, it most likely it's going to put a smile on their face. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the quiet kids or the kids that say, I don't care, or they're not interested. You say that it's so important to reconnect with them, to make them feel like they matter again. What do you do? You light up around the things that they love. Mm-hmm. It's just like you and me, right? You find the things they love and you light up about it. And it's like, you know, it's often not going to be things you love. Baby yeah. shark, right? Uh, Fortnite. TikTok. Teach mom how to do the TikTok. Okay. Can we do a TikTok together? How do you do that? And they're like, oh my God, mom. And you're like, no, really? Like, what is the TikTok? Can we TikTok together? Do me a Snapchat. Do the snap face to me. And they're like, oh my God. But it's something they love, right? I have yeah. I have wasted so much of my time watching stupid Minecraft videos. Hmm. I would rather poke knitting needles into my ears, but the babies are jacked right now about Roblox and adopt me game where they try to get adopted and sell flying unicorns to each other. Like, (laughs) Oh my God, it's driving me nuts, but that's their jam. Right? So I'm like, Whoa, you got a flying unicorn, a neon. It's just like you and me. Like when we find each other who we really want to spend time with, typically we share some interest, some passion, something mm-hmm. that we want to talk about. And our kids are, uh, are on the same. And so the, the people who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. You will find it most difficult to connect to your 13-year-old who is going through a goth phase who just wants to vape, right? Like none of those things are things that you're particularly supportive. So you are busy saying, could you be more like this? Or stop that or do this versus like, okay, what, is it, what does it mean? what kind of stuff are in the vape? Can you get to root beer flavor? It doesn't mean you support condone. It means I want to understand. And that becomes some of the most important thing to do, right? To meet people where they're at and then you teach. Mm. So everything you're talking about, that can apply for a teacher or a parent because you're kind of parenting the students in school. Absolutely. Trying to connecting with the kids. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, right now, I think more than any is this the old African proverb. I mean, it takes a village. 
and it's, um, we need each other now more than ever. Mm -hmm. I asked on my Facebook if there, for anyone that knew of you, uh, if some mothers had a question and one asked with COVID and back to school and everything she's taught in her books of how to connect with our kids, our students, how can you adapt your methods with wearing masks and not touching, physically distancing? How can you adapt that reconnecting when you won't see their entire face? Let's say for a mother who's listening, that's also a teacher. Um, How can you connect with your students? Listen, we we are wired for connection and Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in isolation and comes out and does some pretty amazing things. And so much of this is in our actions as much as it is in our words. And so I can still hear your words behind a mask. I often say this these days, you need to be smiling with your balls. (laughs) And I mean your eyeballs, okay? Because we are still very much engaged. I can still see a light up in you. So I want you to be very cognizant Uh, if you can't touch how you do, you know, fancy eyebrow tricks, Mm -hmm. how you are really clear about, I see you, I acknowledge you, that that word acknowledgement becomes so critically important. And we don't have to be physically touching Mm -hmm. another to acknowledge them. Mm, That's true. Yeah, because when you smile, you can see it in your eyes. Even behind a mask. Yeah. And there's a lot of anxieties for mothers who their kids are going back to school. And do you have any helpful tips for them how to navigate these next few months? I think what's really critical, right, is just take a moment and feel it all. This is a scary time. We got lots to worry about right now, Mm -hmm. and we've been through a lot. You know, we sort of assumed that if we just ended last school year, then we would be able to sort of step back into normal. And that's, that's not what we're doing. And so I want first, I think, to acknowledge and just really, you know, reflect on how much you've been through. It's it's a lot. And then the next step is how do you drop your shoulders? How do you take that deep breath, drop your shoulders and just trust the fact that you will do what is best for you and your babies, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Gather the research, know what works for you and you do it. And if you are as confident as you can be, your babies will benefit from that. So take care of yourself and then you, you can take care of your, your kids. 100%. I have a fun little freshly squeezed questionnaire. So it's a few quick questions you answer in one sentence or one word as quickly as hey. possible to get to know you more. So your guilty pleasure. Oh, ice cream. The first thing I do to get my morning started is? Uh, stretch. Your favorite color? Blue. If I wouldn't be a clinical psychologist, I'd be? An NHL hockey player. Really? (laughs) One thing on my dream bucket list? Uh, Taking my kids, my family, um, overseas. I connect with my kids by doing this. I would say the biggest way that we, where we connect the most is road trips. I connect with my husband by doing this. Uh, I would say um, when I slow down enough to recognize how amazing he is. Favorite place I've visited? Uh, Ireland. I have one day to myself without any distractions. You'll find me where and doing what? Writing in a hotel room by myself. One thing I learned living on a farm is? Um, you can never chase cows fast enough. 
favorite way to have fun? Uh, with the people I love the most. Sweet or salty? Oh, good one. Salty. Okay, so you order ice cream. What do you get? Oh my God. Okay, so I was just in BC and I found the best little like, it's called Burnt Honey in Nanaimo. And they had this almond praline something. I need nuts and things in the ice cream to make it amazing. And it just, it changed my life. I like, I'm going to go back there just to get it. (laughs) Maybe you can order it online. (laughs) I know I've already looked. Your kids say this about you all the time. Uh, That I'm funny. You're known as the blank of the family. Oh, uh, the fixer. One thing you do when you feel stressed. Uh, Drink. Well, this one you answered uh, was, do you have any plans to write another book? And you're yes, writing another one. Yeah, I have two. I have um, that. Uh, Teachers These Days should be out um, early next year. And then my next book is Hello Hero for first responders and their families. So where can mothers, listeners find more about you? You're, you've, you're doing workshops right now. You talk about everything. You're, you also have your course, online course version of the book. Talk a bit about that because for anyone that's read your book, why would they want to do that course? Yeah, it's just a bit of a deeper dive. We, I okay. created it at the beginning of COVID because um, all of our speaking gigs have been canceled uh, for the next two years. And I just really oh, wow. wanted to, not two years, I mean, in person, um, I just really wanted to create a resource for people who, you know, wanted to know a little bit more about it. So typically when I come and do a keynote, I would say all those things. And so we just put it in a talk uh, and then they're just, uh, there's a module, a 30 minute video that goes along with every single chapter about why I wrote the book and what I've learned since. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fun little spot. And then everywhere else, I mean, our we have a website and a shop and we, you know, this team of this little team is just phenomenal. We've grown so much over the last two years. Um, but I'm, we're on Instagram and Facebook and we do, I do a Facebook live and Instagram live every Wednesday morning um, with this community at uh, 815 Mountain and then Sunday night, I do a session. We call it uh, Sunday night sessions at 8 p.m. So mountain. So we'd love to have your people come join our people. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the ones that know you love you because you're so direct and just honest and fun. And you know what? When you see someone open up and being vulnerable, it's like it shows you that you can too, you know? I say this all the time. I'm not for everybody. Right. And I, and I know that out of the gate, but I, I can't do it any other way. I'm authentic. Like yeah. if this is, this is how I show up, if we were going to go for lunch or if we were going to hang out and camp for the weekend and drink wine, like this is the, this is it. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to be any different in any other way. And that doesn't mean that it's always a fit for everybody, but here's the yeah. cool thing. Then if it's not, that's okay. Yeah. If it is great. Right. And, and I think that that's, what's really critical. I think we don't, particularly as women, I think we try a lot to be able to stay inside the bounds. And I think sometimes it's, you know, it's, it, there's a place to do it, but I also think you got to be respectful of who you are. Mm. I have one last question. I asked everyone on the podcast, so I don't want to skip this one. So we all know that being a mother and a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences, keeping motherhood inspired. What one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? Uh, just knowing, I think that um, it, here's what here's what helps me the most is to, to to remember that they're not mine, that I am just kind to trying to give them the best experience so that they can be the best humans on the planet. That allows me to just take a step back all the time and be like, I am going to show you what it's like to be amazing, and that 
it takes some pressure off to be able to just be like, oh my gosh, I am so responsible for everything they think and do. It's like, no, I'm going to provide them with the best experience um, in on the planet that I can. And some days I'm going to crush it and other days I'm going to be shitty, but it is, that's what balance is. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening, two, three, four, five, six stars, whatever you feel reflect podcast. This will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye guys.